Hello, my friends, and welcome to Season 2 of the Moves with Coombs podcast, helping you re-educate and re-inspire your relationship with movement by giving you some insight on powerful ideas around health and fitness that aren't typically part of the mainstream conversation. I'm your host, Griffin Coombs. I'm an ISSA master trainer, specialist in corrective exercise, nationally accredited yoga instructor, among many other things. But most importantly, I'm an all-around wellness and movement aficionado who's here to share insights gained on my long and ever-evolving journey toward well-being. In today's episode, we're talking all things nervous system and breath, why regulating your nervous system is so important for your everyday well-being and to optimize your training, and how you can use your breath anytime, anywhere to help achieve that. So sit back, relax, take a deep breath if you know what I mean, and enjoy. Hello again, and welcome to Season 2, Episode 2, and if this is your first time, Thanks for stopping by and checking it out. This is a really important episode talking about the nervous system and the breath and how they relate to one another. And as I've mentioned, I think in a past episode, then how important the nervous system is. I mean, it is the, it's the driver of everything that we do. And one of the ways that we can regulate our nervous system, it is one of the simplest ways and also most powerful ways is through our breath. So I'm going to try not to get too sciencey. Um, we want to understand this more on a conceptual level and a level that's going to be practical to us. But um, I'm going to have to talk a little bit about oxygen and carbon dioxide and stuff like that if we're talking about breathing. But um, but let's let's get into it. So I just want to remind you that the body does what the nervous system tells it to do, which is one of the reasons I'm such a proponent of quality over quantity exercise. So basically your body, your nervous system decides that it's a win if you didn't die. So if you have restrictions in your body, you have joint restrictions, tissue restrictions, and you decide you're going to do a movement anyway, and your nervous system will command the body to bypass those restrictions to get the movement done. And if that you're not really aligned or your form isn't the best when you're doing it and you ingrain that motor pattern over time, you're teaching your nervous system to do it that way, which is not always good. It can lead to breakdown of the body and injury over time. So from a movement perspective, this is why nervous system and motor control are so important um, in your training. But when we look at everyday life, We're going to think for a second in terms of the sympathetic nervous system versus the uh, parasympathetic nervous system. So you have, and this is, this is talking about your autonomic nervous system. This is the stuff that is not voluntary per se. So we're not talking about the motor system where you decide you're going to do a movement with your body and then you do it. We're talking about the stuff that is automatic and we're breaking it up into two sides of the nervous system right now for our conversation. Sympathetic, parasympathetic. Sympathetic is fight or flight. It is high energy. Parasympathetic, rest and digest. That's the state that we should be in most of the time. If we are in sympathetic nervous system more than we need to be, 
that is a huge contributor to chronic stress, potentially chronic inflammation, and a whole host of problems. If you're really interested in the effects of stress and trauma on long-term wellness, I recommend the book When the Body Says No by Dr. Gabor Mate. He's a Hungarian-Canadian physician who specializes in the relationship between trauma and physiology. And there are countless cases of people who have have chronic um, emotional issues manifest as lifestyle disease later on. And we know that too much stress can be really bad for the body. So when we think of stress, let's think in terms of what our nervous system is is doing. And if we are in a state of a sympathetic nervous system state longer than we should be, which a lot of us are, right? We're perceiving threats, even if it's subconscious where we're never completely relaxed. And a lot of us exacerbate that because we're not even thinking about the state of our nervous system. We're not even being present and asking ourselves, which state am I in? we can forget what it feels like to truly be in a resting state with a lot of parasympathetic tone. So let's talk about how that relates to the breath. It's kind of a chicken or the egg situation where you, if you require more oxygen to your tissues, So if you're going to exercise or if you're talking evolutionarily, if we were going to run away from a predator or something, that is going to require more oxygen to fuel that high energy activity. And so our sympathetic nervous system turns on, we start breathing more, we breathe heavily, we breathe fast, we pull more oxygen in to fuel that activity, but also breathing more can trigger the sympathetic nervous system to switch on. So it's a chicken or the egg situation, and it's kind of both. One can affect the other and, and vice versa. So you, when you decide you're going to do something that's high energy, think about when you exercise, you start breathing more heavily. You breathe faster because you need more oxygen. You're in sympathetic uh, you're, you have high sympathetic tone when you're exercising, especially when you're exercising hard. But also, if you just are sitting there chilling out and you start breathing really rapidly, you turn on sympathetic tone and you're switching from parasympathetic to sympathetic, fight or flight. So you can do that with your breathing too. So what, when we're, we're thinking about how does this apply to our our lives, the way we live our lives, and that we want to be in a parasympathetic state most of the time unless we have to rapidly solve a problem or run away or we're doing exercise? How do we use our breath to stay in a parasympathetic state? And I'm the, the, the overarching thing I'm going to give you is in normal life, we want less of a ratio of time taking in oxygen to time not taking in oxygen, right? So we want to basically breathe in less so as not to trigger 
the nervous system to believe we are in a threatened state where we need more oxygen. So if you don't need a ton of oxygen, we don't want to be taking in a ton of oxygen. We don't want to send that message to our nervous system, if that makes any sense. So we think about how, how can we achieve this? What are some simple breathing techniques or breathing characteristics that can ensure that we're in parasympathetic state most of our lives? Well, one of the ways is to make sure that you're breathing through your nose the entire time. And most people do this when you're just sitting down, chilling out, your mouth is closed, you're breathing in and out through your nose. If you're somebody who breathes through your mouth, you're not alone, but you're going to want to try closing your mouth and getting used to breathing through your nose for a few reasons. First of all, that the hair inside of your nose filters particles out of the air. That's what it's for. Your, your mouth is for eating and for talking. It's not for breathing. So unless you're exercising really, really hard and you need more oxygen, you're breathing through your mouth. But remember, we don't want more oxygen to be in our parasympathetic nervous system state. We want less oxygen. So breathing through your nose helps filter the air that your mouth does not do. It slows down your breathing. It takes longer for air to go in through your nose than it does through your mouth. And it facilitates a connection to the diaphragm, which is the muscle that's responsible for inhalation. It, it uh, is attached to the lungs, at the bottom of the lungs. And so when the diaphragm contracts, it, it, when, it's when your belly gets bigger, basically. It's your diaphragm moving. It's pushing your, your digestive organs out of the way and pulling down on your lungs so to create a, a pressure deficit so that air rushes into your lungs. That's how you breathe called the Bernoulli effect, if anybody's interested. So lots of effects when it comes to breathing and stuff like that. So, so you, if you try it, breathing through your nose and you try to expand your belly, you try to do like a deep belly breath, it's easier to do if you're breathing through your nose than it is if you're breathing through your mouth. It's much easier through your mouth to breathe really shallow breaths where your shoulders lift and you're just breathing into the upper chest and you're not really taking a deep breath. So experiment with that. And the last reason nose breathing is so important is it facilitates the production of nitrous oxide naturally. And that's a blood vessel dilator. So it's going to open up all of your blood vessels and aid in circulation. So these are all changes that can happen just from making sure you're breathing through your nose. Most people already do this, but if you're somebody who's like, huh, I do breathe through my mouth a lot. Start to get into this habit and notice instant changes. I'm serious. A day or two of this, I know you'll feel different. So the second way that we can ensure that we are turning on more parasympathetic tone and staying away from fight or flight when we don't need to be stressed is making sure we are indeed doing deep belly breathing. So I mentioned this just a second ago with the nasal breathing but if you breathe through your nose and you're still not taking deep breaths into your belly, you're going to want to look up some tutorials on how to do that. Or the way I like to start people if they don't know how to breathe that way is to just lie down. It's much easier if you lie on your back. And then I have them put a hand a couple inches in, uh, above their belly button. 
and then breathe lying down through your nose and try to reach your belly button up to your hand. Don't pull your hand down to your belly button. You want the belly to expand and rise up to touch your hand. So that's one way you can experiment with deep diaphragmatic breathing. Your next technique to breathe and keep yourself in a more regulated nervous system state is to exhale longer than you inhale. So again, we want to take in, we want more time not taking in oxygen than taking in oxygen. So one way is to make sure that you're breathing in for less time than you're breathing out. And the last way, last technique I'm going to give you is breath retention practice. So holding your breath. So holding your breath all the time is not good. You've heard people tell you don't hold your breath during exercise or remember to breathe. And that's all good advice because if you're holding your breath unconsciously, that can be a problem. But if you're holding your, your breath consciously in order to slow down your breathing and in order to stay in a parasympathetic state, it's really, really good, right? Because that increases the time that we're not breathing in and we're sending the message to our nervous system hey, I don't need a bunch of oxygen. There's no threat. I'm okay. You do want to be careful with breath retention that you don't try to hold your breath for too long because if you hold it for too long, then that can switch on your sympathetic fight-or-flight nervous system because you may be sending the message to your nervous system that you're in trouble, that you can't breathe, uh, like you're drowning or you're choking or something like that. So you don't want to hold, we're not talking about try to hold it as long as you can. If you start to experience that, that urge to breathe, just breathe. But just a few seconds of breath retention to start, um, both after the inhale and after the exhale, or pick one. It's a little easier after the inhale than it is after the exhale, but not enough to start your heart rate uh, raising and starting to crave to take another breath. You've gone too far and you're, it's pretty, it's counterproductive to what we're doing. So just short retentions of breath, um, mixed with exhaling longer than you inhale, making sure you are breathing through the nose and breathing deep into the belly is going to change your life. If you don't do these things, I promise. So a simple exercise that I'll give you is called box breathing. You might've heard of it and it just, means you think of a box, think of like a two-dimensional box, and it's a square, and all sides of a square are uh, their equal length. So you are going to do a four-part breath where all four parts are equal length, creating a box that just goes round and round the sides of that box and repeats. So let's say four seconds is usually a good amount of time. If you need a little longer, a little shorter, be my guest. This isn't set in stone. But you just breathe in for four seconds, hold it for four seconds, exhale for four seconds, and hold that for four seconds, and repeat. You find yourself in this state of kind of equanimity and calm um, if you repeat this for a few cycles. And you can do it for up to five or 10 minutes if you want to do like a proper session of sitting down and breath work. Or 
if you just find you have a minute or two or you even just need to do like one to three rounds of this just to recenter yourself, it's still super helpful. So you might be asking, well, why are you exhaling for the same amount as the inhale if you just told me to exhale longer than I inhale? Well, this is a beginner uh, experiment with box breathing. You can benefit if you exhale for a little bit longer than the inhale, but remember that we are still holding our breath after the inhale and holding our breath after the exhale for four seconds both. So that's extending the period of time that you are not breathing in versus the period of time you are breathing in, right? So if I inhale for four seconds, then I hold it for four, then I exhale for four, then I hold it after the exhale for four, that's 12 seconds of not breathing in to only four seconds of breathing in. So I'm still accomplishing my goal of, of not over-breathing and of sending the message to my nervous system that I'm okay. So you can try that on your own. Just count to yourself in two, three, four, hold, two, three, four, exhale, two, three, four, and hold, two, three, repeat. And you keep do that for, like I said, as many rounds as you need to, as much time as you want to give yourself. Even one round of that or five rounds of that take you no time and make a huge difference. So, okay, that's breathing for everyday life to make sure that you are in a state of parasympathetic um, nervous system state so that you are not in a, to help you come out of a state of constant stress. Uh, It's not the only way. It's not comprehensive, but your breath is always there and you can always shift your breathing, get conscious of your breathing and change it and you will have immediate physiological effects. I'm excited for you to try this if you've never tried it before because it is huge. So if we're looking finally as we wind down toward the end of the episode, if we're looking at athletic performance, if we're looking at how does this benefit my movement? You know, I listen to this podcast because of the exercise stuff, not about relieving stress and nervous system stuff. Well, give me a break because everything I just said helps your athletic performance by reducing chronic stress in the rest of your life and helping your nervous system just be more efficient, right? So think of it as sharpening your sword. If your sword is your your performance, your ability to perform as an athlete, then you're having a regulated nervous system and being in a state of calm when you're supposed to be in a state of calm when you're not working out is sharpening your sword so that when it's time to use the sword, it's ready to go. It's, it's quick. It's slick. It's efficient, right? If you are always in a state of stress, then you're beating your body down in so many ways. On the cellular level, you are beating your body down when you don't need to be. So it's just like trying to exercise after a night of poor sleep. Forget it. The better you recharge your batteries, the better you're, the more efficient you're going to be, more ready you're going to be to go when it's time to work. Okay, so just keep that in mind. The way you take care of yourself, there's one quote, I forget who said it, but I really like it. Most people exercise an hour a day 
if they exercise. It's what you do for the other 23 hours of that day that determines if that exercise is going to help you or hurt you. So keep that in mind. Your work is not done just when you step out of the gym. This is a holistic approach to really taking care of yourself. Another quick um, note about nitrous oxide, people take nitrous oxide supplements and you can produce nitrous oxide by just breathing through your nose and more if you hum on the exhale. So you breathe in through your nose and on the exhale, you hum like what I just did and that's going to stimulate more nitrous oxide production in the nasal cavity. So think about how you these little hacks that can improve and what does nitrous oxide do? Why do people take it? It's a blood vessel dilator. That means it opens your blood vessels and improves circulation so blood and the oxygen that it carries can get to your tissues faster to help your athletic performance. So nasal breathing, nitrous oxide production, hum on the exhale. You might sound like a weirdo. Make sure your eyebrows are up and even though your lips are together, your whole mouth is open. I have a background in classical voice, so we did a lot of that type of stuff. And the last way I'll just share with you about athletic performance is keep in mind, so there's, there's another effect, right? I talked about the, air pre- the Bernoulli effect with um, equalizing air pressure in your lungs and the way we breathe with the, with the diaphragm. But there's something called the Bohr effect, which is really interesting. Um, it was named after a Danish guy physiologist, last name is Bohr, B-O-H-R, I think, early 1900s, I'm pretty sure. Uh, and we want to think about, think about the oxygen in the blood versus the tissues. Think of it as like a savings account. And so I can save money if I don't have anything to spend it on. Right, so I everything's going fine in my life. Um, there's nothing that's demanding me to shell out a bunch of cash, so I get paid for my job, and I can put a good chunk of it into a savings account or an investment account or whatever. Then all of a sudden, my house floods, and I have to take out a bunch of that money and use it to repair my house. And that's kind of the same thing when it comes to the oxygen attached to red blood cells and that oxygen being released to the tissue. So you are going to become, if you practice breath retention, so if you're holding your breath, what's happening is you're building up carbon dioxide in your blood by not delivering it regular oxygen. And that's going to lower the pH of your blood. It's going to make the blood more acidic. And when the pH of the blood lowers... There is a, the, the nervous system creates a demand for oxygen because it's like, whoa, there's no oxygen here. We need to release the oxygen that we have binded to the red blood cells to be used by the tissues. So the, the more oxygen in your blood, the higher the pH, the more alkaline, the more oxygen molecules want to bind to red blood cells and stay there. The more carbon dioxide in your blood, the less oxygen, which means the more acidic pH, the lower pH, 
the more the oxygen molecules want to separate from the red blood cells and be absorbed by tissues that need them. How do you lower the pH of your blood? You raise carbon dioxide levels. How do you do that? Hold your breath. Now, again, you don't always want to hold your breath to the point of freaking out. But if you're willing to go into sympathetic nervous system um, fight or flight mode because you really want to go for maximum breath retention, this will have regular effects over time for your oxygen efficiency, for your VO2 max and your body's ability to use oxygen molecules that are being carried by red blood cells. So keep that in mind, that breath retention over time, if you practice it regularly, can have a huge effect on your athletic performance, your physiology while you're training. So that's going to do it for today's episode of the Moves with Coombs podcast. Thanks for sticking with me through all of the talk about blood pH and oxygen and carbon dioxide, but it's important. And remember, even if you don't remember all of those wacky effects named after people who discovered them, remember that the breath is always with you. It's always there. We do it all the time. We can't stop doing it for a long time or we'll die. And it's also one of the most powerful tools you have at your disposal to change the way your nervous system is responding to the world around you. So I highly encourage you to use that to do it every day if you can and or whenever you feel like you need it. And watch, I promise you, watch the changes that you experience psychologically, emotionally, and physiologically. We will see you next time for season two, episode three. Keep moving, respect the process, and breathe.